You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Thank you for listening. Do us a favor, check out our previous episodes, leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry, dedicated to strengthening our retailers and cycling community. All right, let's get into this. Today's guest is Joe Coppola, owner of Velo Concepts Bicycle Lab and Studio located in Culpeper, Virginia. Started in 2014, the bespoke bicycle retailer strives to be different from all others. Rather than take a one-size-fits-most approach, Velo Concepts focuses on helping the rider select a bicycle that fits the unique needs, size, riding style, and aspirations of a cyclist. The store features a state-of-the-art fitting lab, which coupled with over 30 years experience performing fits, ensures that every rider gets professional level fits using the latest technologies. They even have an in-house cycling sport orthotics lab. Fanatical about the details and eager to take everyone's cycling journey next level, we are so excited to get into this one today. There's going to be some sure takeaways for all retailers. Before we begin, a reminder that NBDA is celebrating 75 years this year. Since 1946, the NBDA has existed to strengthen, educate, and provide leadership and community to specialty bicycle retailers nationwide. If you listen to our podcast, enjoy the content, and find value in what we do, please consider joining. All right, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Joe to Bicycle Retail Radio. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, I'm so thankful to our mutual friend, Jeremiah Bishop, for introducing us. Really looking forward to getting in. He said, you have to talk to Joe. Um, (laughs) I mean, that exactly. And honestly, Joe, it's the first time that I've had a retailer who approaches bicycle retail the way you do fit first on the show. So I'm pretty stoked about this one. Well, that's great. You know, it's funny, you know, the whole fit first approach is not something that I coined. There's obviously other people that have sort of taken that approach. And I never really thought of it until I got doing what I was doing that, oh my God, this is something branded differently than what everybody else does. And, you know, I've been doing bike fits, you know, for 30 years. When I started as a high school kid working at, you know, a big bike shop in New York on Long Island, you know, back then we were buying custom bikes. So there was always sort of like a fit thing involved. So I didn't even realize it was something unique. But I, yeah, now, you know, five, six years into this, I do see that. Yeah, we talk about, you know, we hear about it and we talk about it, but I've never really explored in depth with a retailer, you know, your concepts and how it's helping the rider and how you're interacting with brands because of it. So I'm really looking forward to this. Before we dive in, Joe, let's just a little bit about you. Why the bicycle industry? What led you here? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in New York, Long Island specifically. And I got into bike racing, you know, when I was 15 years old, which actually you look back on it was sort of the heyday of junior bike racing. We didn't know it at the time. You know, I walked into my first races with 125 juniors, you know, on the field. It was kind of cool because I also grew up, you know, on Long Island. Uh, George Hancappy is my age or a year younger than me. So I grew up and he was a training partner of mine, lived the town over from me. You know, obviously I worked at a bike shop because that was the only way that I could actually afford to buy a bike and race and all that. And we had a really great local club called the Nassau Wheelman. It was headed up by a guy by the name of Doug Hutwagner, who used to work for Security Bicycles, which is one of the Italian importers. And they really kind of, them and a bunch of friends of mine to this day, shepherded me along and to the, you know, through cycling and my love for cycling. And then, of course, working in shops and 
for you know into retail and sales and all that stuff that kind of gets you going. So that's how I started in this whole thing. Didn't know that this would still be, you know, 30 plus years later would still be something that I'm involved in. It's such an awesome industry. And we do, we, I feel like we come from all different directions and we never know where our path is going to take us. And, you know, I'm listening to your story. I'm a New Yorker too. So Joe, we have some comments. <laughs> I mean, the industry has changed so much. We saw the Lance Armstrong era. We've seen, you know, now into gravel and e-bikes. Yeah. Joe, how are you feeling? I mean, all the supply, all the bike boom. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the million dollar question. It's sort of like everybody thinks, you know, that, that, oh, we're in the bike boom and, you know, post-COVID era and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, being a small retailer and especially being a fit first bike shop where, you know, I work with a lot of brands and I work with a lot of brands on purpose because I've got to find the right bike that fits the right person and not every brand makes something that fits everybody. So it makes me very diversified. But the industry itself doesn't like being diversified. You know, there's that whole mindset of, well, if you sold this bike, that could have been one of our bikes kind of thing. But I try to stay near and you know, true to myself as that the reason that my shop exists is this way. And, you know, sure, the, there's a boom or a resurgence in cycling. I don't know how much of it's actually new people or just, you know, there's lower product around. It's a supply and demand issue. I still stick to it as, you know, we say, how do you make a small fortune in the bike industry? Start with a large one. You know, that's sort of the, you know, you have to come into the bike industry and owning a bike shop with a passion, you know, bicycling was such an instrumental part of my growing up. And, you know, as later in life came about to be, and, you know, you work different jobs and you get overweight. I found it again, you know, 20 years ago, I, when I started riding again, I was 260 pounds. I lost, you know, 70 pounds. I used it to really kind of, you know, embrace something that I loved because I knew I wasn't going to go to a gym. So that's kind of like where I've gotten into this whole thing and how I've kind of come back to it. Joe, I'm just listening to everything you're saying. And when you're saying fit first and, you know, you work with multiple brands and I think we'll get into that in just a little bit. I want to dive into that deeper, but it takes a truly special person to be a hundred percent authentic and look at the rider in front of you and say, no matter what, I'm going to do what's best for this cyclist. Congratulations for that. That's not easy. I know and we're faced with all these challenges and demands right now to stay on that lane. So kudos. Yeah. Well, thanks. You know, to me, it's, I'm surprised more shops don't take that tact. You know, that's how I grew up working in the industry was, you know, finding the right bike, you know, whether it was a Schwinn or whatever, it was always finding what that person wants and what they need. And, you know, even my shop, I mean, we're not a big shop. Everything I select on my store has to earn a place on my floor or on my wall because I want it to be the best product for that person or that rider. And I don't want to overwhelm them with a gazillion choices. I want to very narrowly outside of the bike piece, I want to make the decisions really easy for you. Like you don't walk into my store and see five different brands of road tires. I narrow it down to one or two kind of thing. So I really try to work with the rider and that really becomes the hallmark of what it is. And sure. And when I get new riders in, that's really where we excel because I recognize that this person is going to be a future cyclist. And it's up to me to not just sell them the bike that fits, but that's why we have group rides. That's why we'll take them out on a ride their first time and teach them how to shift and take them into the park. And, you know, it's more that. Now, cool thing is we're a small shop. We're in a little more rural area. We have the time and the ability to kind of do all that, you know, but that's why I have shop ambassadors. You know, I have several shop ambassadors that I can call at any given moment and say, hey, 
I got this new rider. Can you take them out? Or I take them out or we take them on a group ride, what have you. It's not, it, they got to go beyond the bike sale itself. It's got to go into that relationship build. All right, let's talk about your area a little bit, Joe. I've been like driving I-81 south, going to Pisgah, going riding for the past couple of weeks. Where in the world is Culpeper, Virginia? <laughs> we are an hour from everywhere. <laughs> so we're like the western central part of the state of Virginia. So we are like, we're west and south of D.C. We're 40 minutes north of Charlottesville. So we're just east of the I-81 corridor. And we're an hour from Richmond. We're an hour from Fredericksburg, an hour and 20 minutes from Richmond, an hour from Fredericksburg. So the place where we are is really kind of cool when you start to think about us as more of your, you know, your local bike shop. We're a specialty retailer. You're going to come to see us for very specific things. I like to call us a destination bike store. You know, it's why we have a lot of the rides because we want people to come get their service. They can do a ride that justifies their reason for being. We also have an in-house cafe, which is a whole nother part of this whole thing. But I really want it to be a place where people come in and hang out. There was an article in one of the business magazines, so eight, nine, 10 years ago, that called that, you know, bike shops are the new Starbucks. And that's sort of what you've kind of seen in this trend of being a dual purpose kind of store. All right. So why Culpepper? Did you grow up there, Joe? No, I well, I grew up in New York. I moved to Culpepper with my wife about 17 years ago. And as I got back into cycling, one of the things that I realized there really wasn't the bike shop around that I really kind of wanted to shop at. It was a local store, but it was more mom and pop, you know, kids' bikes, family bikes, the whole nine yards. And as I started gravitating towards the kind of shop and getting, you know, buying bikes and all that kind of stuff. We become very good friends with one of the larger retailers in the DC area that's since gone out of business. But that was sort of what got me back into it. And I realized, I said, you know what, there's nothing like this, me going to the DC area for my local market. And I was looking at them and I was riding with them. And, you know, the group around the local group doesn't come, nobody raced, nobody really taught them how to ride in a pace line. It was all stuff that they really kind of learned. And so when I came into it, I'm like, okay, there's got to be more that we can offer them. And then I started looking at like their equipment selection and how they were fit on a bike and all these different kinds of things. And I was sort of like, okay, I need to guide them a little bit more and let me open up a store. And then that the the local store was going through some transitions and they were, I could see the writing on the wall that they weren't going to be around for much longer. So I said, well, let me take my industry contacts. Let me open up a little by appointment only store, do a little bit of fits, a little bit of service a little bit of sales and just do that for fun kind of thing. And here I am six years later. So 2014, you say little. So give me an idea of what the building looks like. It sounds like you might've moved to a bigger location or yeah. <laughs> this is, building to us. And, yeah. And- so this is a cool story. Since I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, my first off, I told I told my, I was telling my wife, like, oh, I'm going to open up a bike shop. She was like, what? Like, she's like, no way. I said, listen, Rent's really cheap in Culpeper. I was looking at some office space. That's what I wanted. It was like a little office, 300 square feet. I was looking at a place that was going to cost me 350 bucks or 400 bucks a month for rent. So tiny. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is tiny. But you know what? But there's a lot of fit studios around out there that have a space that's literally just that. I was thinking you set up a stand in the corner, you do a little bit of fits. All bikes are on order. Everything's by appointment. I owned a marketing company at the time. So it was able to juggle this, became another office for me. And that's how I started. I was in an industrial park on a little bit further outside of town. So you wouldn't stumble upon us. And I knew that that was going to be my thing. But I was like, okay, the cyclists will find you. If you're a bike shop, then there's not a lot of bike shops around. They'll Google you and they'll get to you kind of thing. 
And I knew from the way that I wanted to be, I didn't want to be the kind of shop because I wasn't going to have the kids' bikes and the family bikes. So I didn't want people just stumbling into the store looking for all of that. So I wanted to be a little bit off the beaten path and then also wanted to be a little bit more on the outskirts of town so you could lead rides from it. That was the whole part of it. So the store was literally, think about it in an industrial park, you know, where a bunch of doctor's offices and, you know, tax accountants and, you know, a warehouse. And I had this little, and actually this place that I wound up renting was 700 square feet. It was divided in two. So there was a little kitchenette in the back. You know, that's where we had the fitting area. That's where we had the work area. And then up front was the display. And it was more geared around. We had a couch and some chairs and a TV on the wall. You know, it was not your typical bike shop. You know, it was you walked in. It sounds destination. Like people aren't driving by. They're coming to you. Absolutely. And you know what? When I first opened up the store, I kind of was almost embarrassed growing up and seeing all these big, huge bike shops with, you know, you walk in and there's, you know, tons of water bottle cages and water bottles and all this other kind of stuff. And I was just sort of doing it on a shoestring budget because I loved it and kind of grew from there. So that's what the place looked like. It was destination. It was in an industrial park, quiet, out of the way. People had to find you. There wasn't even a sign on the building. Like it was just a sign on the window kind of thing. So... But now you have a, I mean, you even have a coffee shop. So what, where are you now? (laughs) Yeah. So now we're in downtown Culpeper, which is, and not right on David. I mean, we're literally, so Culpeper, the cool thing about Culpeper is that we are one of the top 100 small towns. We've been recognized by Architectural Digest as being the prettiest town in the state of Virginia. The local community and uh, our community economic development and Culpeper Renaissance have done a lot with revitalizing the town over the last 20 years and making a really cool Main Street. We're two blocks off of Main Street, a little bit more off the beaten path, so people still have to find you. It's not the part of town where people really will necessarily get to because the building I'm in has five other vacant commercial units. So people aren't used to there being... Right now, things are coming. Like The next year, I think, will be fully occupied, but still there's a draw. So that's where we are now. The only reason that we are in this space, and this is, this I think, for people in the industry to understand that you kind of have to follow your dream and kind of stick to what you want. But the original location that I was at, I had signed a two-year lease, literally expecting to be out of business at the end of those two years and be like, okay, well, that was fun. You know, that was great. I, that was sort of what I was thinking. I didn't know what was going to happen. And as we got towards the end of year two, I was like, this is sort of working. Like, I can see this. And I'd always served coffee as a because with the bike shop. It was sort of like, I always felt like it was better. You know, I'm a voracious coffee drinker, like love, you know, third wave coffee and really precise espresso and all these types of things. And so I wanted to bring that to the cycling community, which everybody knows most cyclists are also equally passionate about coffee. So I thought it was better to offer somebody when they walked in the door, not, hey, what can I sell you? Hey, would you like a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. That was, let me get you an espresso. That was the idea. And I learned to pour latte art. So when people would walk in the door for the first time, it was more sitting down over a coffee rather than just the buying experience. So as part of the buying experience, just before year two, I was like, okay, I want a little bit bigger space. I like, I want a shower because I was doing rides and I wanted a shower in the space. And it turned out that all these other pieces that I wanted were in the building, in the unit next to mine. So I was like, okay. We'll expand. As I was about to sign the lease for that extension, I got a heard from my landlord saying, hey, hold on. We've got a state agency that wants this whole building and we're not going to renew your lease 
you can go month to month until this deal either falls through or not. So now it's like, crap, what am I going to do? Like, I've just built this business. It was, you know, starting to get someplace and I'm going to wind up losing my spot. So I immediately started looking around Culpepper for a new place to go. And I found the location that we were in. And but the problem is the location that I was in, this building had been sat, half of the building had sat vacant for like, at this point, six or seven years. There was no sidewalk. There was no parking lot. It was a destitute part of town. And I was like, this is this one unit on the end. It was the process of being redone. I'm like, this is perfect. I like the location. It would have tons of parking. It's easy to ride out of town. Because if you're on Main Street in my town, you're not going to be able to park. So long story short, long story long, basically what winds up happening is that this is out of all, I was like, I love this space. It's bigger than I wanted. It was 2,500 square feet. I had seven, you know, and I was going to expand to nine. So it was 2,500 square feet. It was an old warehouse, an old apple orchard warehouse kind of thing. It needed a lot of work. It needed a lot of money to really get it there. Luckily, the people that I ride with in Culpeper are a lot of the doctors and lawyers and realist realtors and stuff in town. And they were like, don't sign a lease for this place. This place has been sat there forever. The building owner is fighting with the town to get the space built out. And I was like, look, I said, there's no risk on my part. If I sign a lease, I'll say, if we don't get a CO, then I don't start paying rent until there's a CO on the building. And I stuck to my guns and I saw it through and it took us two years from the first time I looked at this unit till we actually had construction done and moved in. Oh my God. Now, remember, I also lost the lease in my original location. Where were you? I moved around. I found temporary locations. I moved around twice over the course of those two years. Fortuitously, I actually, there was like a work share, kind of like an Upwork, but it wasn't Upwork where we work, but it was sort of like an incubator kind of thing, which was around the corner from where I, my new home was. So I moved into there eventually. My goal was over those two years was just to not let the name go away, was just to keep the sign on the door, to have a website, to have a presence. And whoever walked in the door, walked in the door and I didn't advertise because I didn't want the name to go away. I didn't want people to forget about me and have to start all over again. And, you know, almost to the day we moved into our coffee shop and bike shop and 2,500 square feet that was custom built for us. My wife and I did all the design. Luckily, my dad's a plumber. So he was able to do the plumbing design, which was intricate in and of itself. I, I To save money, I learned how to do electrical. I learned how to use Google SketchUp and I sketched out the whole entire place and did all the design and what I wanted it to look like. And I wanted this sort of museum meets bike shop kind of thing. That's why if you look at my pictures, you'll see all the bikes are in big window pane display boxes. That was sort of what I wanted. We have, you know, high polished epoxy floors, really trying to do this. But I learned to do a lot of this stuff myself and I GC'd all the work out of bare necessity that I was trying to save every single penny that I possibly could to do the build out of the space because you can spend tons of money on a build out. Joe, I love this story. Like you found the space that totally spoke to you and then you just did whatever you had to do for two years plus to make it a reality. And now you're sitting in to our listeners. I can see the space behind him. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And, you know, I was on your website, veloconcepts.com. Your website is super clean, great images, great content. But what stood out to me most, and you were just talking that you had this concept, this vision, is just even your page tabs. You know, it's not like shop service. It's buying experience, fitting lab, custom orthotics, coffee, 
I mean, so even your website speaks to this mission vision in your working mythology, right? It's like everything is about customer experience and customer experience. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you hit on it that way. And it wasn't, I don't know that all that was a conscious effort. It was just, you know, when I wrote the, what, what, and remember I said at a marketing company. So one of the nice things is, is that I have an IT background. I'm very versed in web design and web publishing and marketing and all these different kinds of things. So the cool thing is, is that to build all this stuff, I didn't have to go out and hire somebody to do it. I am a, if you want something done right, do it yourself kind of guy. And if you don't know how to do it, figure it out. And again, I didn't have the money to build the website, you know, so I spent all my money designing something. Luckily, I have a very talented photographer and videographer and musician in town that has his own media company that's helped me with and that I've done all my images. He's a phenomenal videographer and photographer and New Gen Media is his name. I'll give him a little bit of a plug. But anyway, but yeah, but he really... You know, they came on early on with the store and, and we've just been building pictures and a picture library so that we could create a website that looks like it does now. Everything that we do has to be unique. I don't want us to be like the typical bike shop. You know, so much of the industry utilizes the same templates from the same company. So that's why all these sites tend to look the same. You know, I really wasn't geared. I'm slowly starting to turn on online e-commerce, but that's not my end all. I really want that touch part of it. And so, yeah, so we sell the experience, not just the, you know, not just buying a bike. I say fit first and rider centric. That's our motto. Yeah. I mean, even, I think I read on your website, every component is hand selected for the customer down to bar tape. Mm -hmm. Walk me through that. Like, so I'm customer, I'm Heather. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Here's my bike. What's that look like? What's the experience look like? Sure. So so when people walk into my store, a lot of times they come, they're like, hey, oh, do you have, you know, a Cervelo S5 in stock or, or this or whatever? And I always, or an open mind. I'm like, let's even stop there. Let's talk about you as a rider, what you're looking for. Because while that snazzy new tarmac might be what you're clamoring for, it may not fit you. And you're about to drop money on a bike, three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000. Let's start with the bike fit. Let's figure out if the bike that you want fits you. And if not, then let's find the right one that will fit you. One of the hallmarks for me is that I've always never let a bike leave the store without the right fit component. So A, number one, once we figure out what their fit or their XY coordinates are, we then take that to figure out what bikes fit them. And once we know what bikes fit them, what we really want to do is then figure out what stem, what handlebar, what of these things, you know, do we want on the bike to make it fit you. That usually involves changing the stem. It doesn't come with the right length stem. It doesn't come with the right handlebar. It doesn't come with potentially the seat post that you need. You know, whether you need a zero setback or a setback seat post, all those things go into it. And my thing is is like, I don't want people to not change those things because they don't want to spend the extra money. So I've always changed out those parts for the customer for free. So regardless of what it is, if the bike doesn't fit you, when you need a different handlebar or a different stem, we would do that. And it got to be cost, you know, a little costly, you know, in in the last year or so, because so many of these bikes are integrated. You've got to use the factory bar, the factory stem because of the way the cables, but that's it. Same thing with wheels. You know, one of the places manufacturers, you know, can save money is by using in-house brands. They may not be the best of breed. So we want to find that, you know, you know, we disassemble the bike when it comes into the store. We reassemble it to our standards. 
So that means handlebar tape needs to be changed. I'm all a big fan of like matching the bar tape to this and that and try to make it a customized version of what leaves the store. Yeah. And I'm thinking of all these new cyclists who have entered our industry. And, you know, some of us know that, you know, I know I need a 38 bar. I know I like this saddle, but these new cyclists aren't going to know. Joe, you didn't mention like a test or demo ride. Mm -hmm. Is that that part of the process? Or this is like a question I've been asking a lot of people recently. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Well, so I might get a lot of criticism for this, but I think of it this way. Everybody makes a good bike. You can't say that a Trek is better than a Specialized or a Cervelo is better than a Chapter 2 or a Colnago or whatever. I boil it down to if the bike fits you, it's going to be a great bike. Now, one of the questions I do guess, well, how do I know if it's going to ride well? I'm like, well, you really don't. You can take four bikes off the shelf, put them out and put somebody out on them, and they can go on a test ride. But what are they feeling? If they're not set up exactly the same, what are they really feeling? They're feeling tire pressure, or if they're feeling the wheel set, they're feeling the way the hood position is, all little intricacy differences between all the different bikes, let alone the fact that the fit measurements are all over the place. And then people say, oh, well, this one feels stiffer or not. Like, how do you quantify that? Is that stiffer? Do you like going to be better at the end of a hundred mile ride or not? You know, I go back to, you look at some of the studies and things that people have done and you look at you know, work that Josh Portner's done with testing tire pressure and different wheel sets and all this other kind of stuff. And you find that even the pros tend to select more tires and wheels and tire pressure over personal preference than all the other kinds of things. So I try to take the bike out of it because if it doesn't fit you, no matter what, it's not going to be as good as a bike that does fit you. So if you want to really go on a demo ride and the only way to do it is set them up 100% exactly the same with the exact same fit dimensions, making sure that the hoods are in exactly the same spot between all the bikes that you ride and you have the same wheels, tires, and tire pressure between all of them. Basically impractical to do when you're talking about, you know, at a shop, the test ride, they're not going to change the bar and stem to make the fit measurement same just for a test ride. I get you. This is reminding me of a really funny moment in my career. I was working for Merck's and I went into a store in California and I was the sales rep and I was like, take this bike for a test ride. They're like, we don't need to. You tell us how it rides. And I'm like, it's amazing. And they're like, what does that mean? And I couldn't quantify right. amazing. And I felt so embarrassed. <laughs> but Joe, are you using like a fit? So are you putting people on a fit machine then to get yeah. Sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so we use a Guru DFU, which aren't made anymore. They sunset that brand. So I was lucky enough to pick up one right before they closed up shop. So I have one waiting in the wings for my next venture. But anyway, but yeah, I use a Guru DFU. And to me, that's such a critical part of the fitting process. And what I like to say is that because it's computer controlled and motorized, I can make fit adjustments five feet from the rider. You know, I can go through the fit and move it. And and just like you go to the eye doctor, do you like A or B? You know, do you like B or C? Which one do you like? And then we can kind of compare and contrast. So when you have a bike that's motorized and computerized, those adjustments happen in a split second. Anytime you've got to stop and pause and crank something or do something or even change something on the bike, they can't feel it right away. You, like, you get off the bike, you don't come back on, you don't know that it feel better. When I take a rider and systematically the way that I go through it is, you know, and I have a three-dimensional motion capture system, but outside of that, I document very precisely their current position, recreate their position, 
on the current bike, on the computer-controlled sitting bike, on the DFU, and then go through my sitting process. And then after they ride, I'll switch it back without really even telling them. I'll be like, I'll click the button, it'll go back to their old bike, and they're like, oh my God, what just happened? I'm like, this is what your current bike is. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh my God, how am I riding like this? And that's the aha moment. And that's something that I always capitalize on is making that aha moment for the customer to feel that particular difference. It doesn't always 100% work that way, but 90% of the time you get that aha moment. And when people can feel that, they leave the store confident that they are in a better spot than they were prior to, whether it's more power, whether it's more comfort, you know, all these different kinds of things play into that. I love this because at this part, like the test experience actually is down to the person feeling the changes that you're making. And we know there's different things. It's not always just numbers, right? It's the rider flexibility. It's like if they have leg length, the straps, there's so many things that fall into play. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about this type of fitting process is I don't do a lot of the static mobility, flexibility type of things that you see a lot of fitters do because I can do it on the bike. You know, like if I have somebody stand up and bend over at the waist and see how tight their glutes are. That's great. That tells me something, but I can see on the bike how that actually impacts their riding. You know, the motion capture system coupled with being able to make the changes, I can do those same physical assessments through using the bike and changing all of that. What happens when I lower the bar 20 millimeters or I move the stem 10 millimeters further away or or even change a crank arm length? All those things that are become subjective and the rider can help self-select a lot of that. NBDA's newest program is called Rides. It will increase your store revenue and your customer loyalty. It's exclusive to NBDA members. Go to nbda.com and join today. So Joe, with this, I'm sure you're not showing many bikes for sale in the store. And you did mention earlier, you're working with many brands. So given everything we're having with the supply and the brand environment, I'm imagining you might have some challenges right now. I mean, I've heard retailers only giving bikes to people who put in larger orders or tell me what you're facing. Sure. No, I've seen that. I had, you know, one of my house brands that I liked a lot, you know, I had to put in a preseason last year and then, you know, or new releases of bikes and put my order in and I'd be like, these bikes would never show up. They just get delayed. And then, you know, I'd be talking to other shop owners and I'd be like, how did you get this bike? This I've had this bike on order since the day it was released. You know, when you start probing with the reps and things like that, and they'll be like, oh, I don't know. They, they claim, you know, like, well, that's out of my territory. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we all know what's really going on. You know, the manufacturers have to stay in business. They got to pick the companies that are going to do the most money for them. And the smaller guy or the guy like myself that doesn't put all their eggs in one or two brands is sort of, you know, you know, getting the short end of the stick. And my concern is that, you know, we've built up this great community of local bike shops and other shops like mine that are passionate about their brands. But what's going to happen for the people and the the primary markets are, they're going to do great. I mean, there's so many shops like mine that are, you know, in the New York area and all this other kind of stuff. And they sell a ton of bikes because of where they are. Mm -hmm. But the smaller shops like myself, how are we surviving on, you know, half or a third of the inventory that we used to receive? Now, I've pivoted. I've recognized our supply chain problem in the bike industry is not frame sets, it's components. And what I'm doing is I'm more and more switching over to doing frame up builds. And that also ties back into what I started the conversation with. And that now instead of having to swap out and lose money on swapping out these components, stem, handlebar, different stuff, 
I'm just now bringing all that stuff in and then the bike comes in the door and we build it up from scratch for that particular rider. Yeah, does it get to be a little bit more expensive for the rider? But at the end of the day, they're, they're getting it because no one's going to change the wheel set. They're not going to spend an extra 600 bucks to change the wheel set out. You know, so this allows them to get exactly what they need. So my orders are in. I mean, I've got just went ahead and ordered a whole bunch of group sets, you know, which in some ways I think makes more sense. I mean, if I have four door ace groups and six Altegger groups and, you know, SRAM Red, all these different groups that's on order, they'll come in and then I can kind of like, you know, just build them up to where it really needs to be because frames generally are available. You know, you can get frame sets. Yeah, I've heard a couple other people suggesting that same thing. And I'm just thinking, you know, looking over at the revenue sources that come from Fit or Orthotics or coffee or repairs. Sure. I think it's really the state of the future to, you know, focus on those aspects as well as not just selling bicycles because, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. You know, when you look at the price point of bikes, you know, I think if you really look at the amount of like, you know, let's not talk about the high end bike only. Let's look at some of you know, the family bikes. You got to sell an awful lot of those to bring in the, yeah, the margins are really low, you know, and the sales cycle on, you know, an $1,100 hybrid is not necessarily that much quicker or easier than selling a $4,000 road bike. And sometimes it might even be more labor to do all of that. So in my mind, that's sort of why I've also focused on the more the enthusiast bike than the kids and family bike. I sell them, but then I will get them when people walk in the door. It's just not my bread and butter. So I think from that perspective, you know, my mechanic was always tells me, he's like, I don't know that there's money in selling bikes. I think the money is really in the fit and the service and, and the repeat business and that kind of stuff. And that's really what I want to do. You know, our service department is fantastic. I have some of the best mechanics in the region and I've worked creatively with the mechanics that I want to work with. They may be at another shop. They might have their own gig but they still come and work for me as well because I believe in what they do because they're really, really good mechanics. You know, I jokingly say my mechanic makes his own money, brings in his own money because my two mechanics are so good. They find things wrong with bikes that people have been going to shops for years and their local shop doesn't find it. Case in point, I had a fit customer in very recently that had a bike and I was looking looking at the bike and I'm because I do my pre-assessment for fit measurements and it was fairly well corroded. Like this bike hadn't really been serviced the way that I would want a bike to be serviced. And I was noticing a lot of corrosion in various parts and all this other kind of thing. And in working on the bike, and he had his bike serviced every year by his local dealer, because this guy was coming from a little bit of ways. You know, upon inspection, we found out that the collar on the bike was a recall, never been replaced. This was a bike, the shop that he bought it from was worked on this person's bike, and he never knew that there was a recall issued. And this is something that we found. This person is riding around for three years on a recall part that his local shop that's been to didn't catch it. And we catch this stuff all the time. Even customers of my own. We had a bike in a couple of months ago. We found a hairline crack in a seat post. Mm -hmm. We found a hairline crack in a fork. You know, things that other bike shops have worked on that they didn't catch, you know, or trashed headset bearings. People don't realize when you're dripping sweat over that headset, and if you don't disassemble that headset, at least yearly, especially if you're doing a lot of, and or more frequently, if you're doing indoor training, that that sweat and that corrosion that gets seeps in there will eventually create a galvanic reaction and that bearing will get seized into the frame. And if that happens, guess what? You throw away the frame and you start all over again. So we really focus on preventative maintenance. 
Yeah. I love that you just brought that up. We used to tell people in the shop all the time, if you're going to be indoor training with this bike, you have to bring it in. We have to clean it. We have to, because it's, you're still putting use on the bike, especially if you're one of those sweaters. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's also why we work. I sell maintenance plans. You know, I don't want people to feel like, because, you know, a lot of shops, you know, they, they offer like a servicing and they charge 80 bucks or a hundred bucks. And we all know in the industry, what you do with that, you take the bike, you hang it on the stand, you run through the gears, you make sure it's safe. Don't give our yeah. secrets out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the point is, you know, I don't offer multiple servicing. I have an annual service and I have a get ready for winter service. And then any bike that comes into my store, that's not on a maintenance plan. I won't do our wash lube and adjust tune. If we haven't done an annual servicing on it, it's like, it starts with an annual service. Now, some customers don't like that, but the point is, is that I'm not going to let a bike leave my store unless I know and I've checked it over and made sure that it's safe for them because I've seen it too often. You take the fork off and the bearings fall apart because they're basically seized into the bike, you know, and people don't get that. But the thing is, and this is where I think a lot of retailers leave money on the table because they don't talk to their customer about it. They don't take the time to say, take the stem off, drop it off. It's very clear when you get in there and how rough those headset bearings are and the fact that the shields fall apart when you get in there. That's what, that's what we need to be doing to help customers, you know, go along with, you know, the proper maintenance. Yeah. And it's a huge liability. Let's be honest. We're working on something that carries someone on a ride, which potentially is, you know, we're dealing with a very, it's important that we take our time and we're managing risk and making sure we go through it. Joe, you mentioned service plans. What about for fit? So you do the initial fit for a bike, bicycle mm-hmm. Do you have, how do you work with fit and how do you sell fit? to Yeah. So this is again, something where I'm a little bit more unique than a lot of the other fitters. You know, the joke in the industry is, you know, a bike fit is more like a haircut rather than a vasectomy. What that basically means is that it's not a one and done kind of thing that you kind of need to evaluate the rider. And it's always going to be a little bit different. So most fitters will give you like one free follow-up. My fits are a year-long subscription. I want the person in as many times to make them 100% happy. Sometimes I want to take a little bit more time with the rider if I'm drastically want to change their position. I don't want to do it in one fell swoop. If I've got a triathlete that comes in for a fit and they've got one of their A or B races coming up in the next six weeks, I don't want to throw them for a loop. So I'll take the time and say, okay, we'll get you here, make you improve you a little bit better. And then you come back in after that. So yes, I mean, you do want the risk of having to redo fits numerous times. I've not found that it changes that drastically within a year, but I want that rider coming in. The other thing too is, is that I'm very conservative with my fit approach, meaning that I make changes very systematically. So for example, when they first come in, my first part that I work with is just the overall fit. Secondarily, when they come back for a follow-up, that's when I'll look at lower leg kinematics. If there's something completely awry up front, like improper cleat position, then I'll make that change first off. But I want to start with the overall fit, then move to cleat shoes, orthotics, that piece of it. Because I don't want to know too, is what happens if I make these two changes? If you make them all one fell swoop and they develop a knee problem or whatever you, yeah. how do you know what caused it? Was it the fit or was it the shoes or the cleats or something like that? Right. Totally makes sense to me, Joe. I'm like, I want to come visit your store. I want to see Cole Pepper and I want to come <laughs> visit your store. <laughs> Anytime. Um, so I want to talk about the community too, because on the website, and Jeremiah mentioned this, that you host a lot of events. And I saw recently you did a Canyon Bicycle Day. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I know many retailers would never think of hosting such an event. So give me some philosophy behind sure. it. Well, so first off, number one, you know, Canyon's one of these brands that I actually really want to work with. They don't, you know, and this is like with a lot of brands that I want to work with, some of the custom frame builders, you know, like Speedwagon and Firefly, and people buy these bikes, right? But there's no way you can touch or feel them beforehand. Like you're literally buying something sight unseen. Same thing with a Canyon. And the reason that I wanted to do the Canyon event is because I have personally in my shop had three or four Canyon customers over the last couple of years that they bought a bike, then they get the fit afterwards. They come to me and I'm like, you bought the wrong bike or you bought the wrong size. And so what's happening is, is now they're taking advantage of the 30-day return policy to send the bike back and get the right one. And my thing is, is you know, with Canyon, it's like, let me help you because that costs you money. You know, let me do the fit. Let's do a fit for your customers. Get them buying the right thing. It's going to save you on the back end for having the process of return. So that's why, I, why for me, Canyons, even though it's not going to make money from a bike sale for me, but the fit, the service, the customer aspect, all of that stuff, I'm looking at that part of it. You know, plus I feel like I'm doing something good. I'm making sure that the person gets the right bike for them, regardless of brand. Look, I don't carry every bike in the world. So there may times be that I put a person on a bike that doesn't fit them. And I'm not a Trek dealer, but I have a relationship with my local Trek store. And I will say, hey, guess what? This Trek will fit you. I know they have this in stock or maybe they can, you know, Oliver is my local store manager. I'm like, go see Oliver. Go talk to him. You know, I'm not about driving somebody just to buy a bike from me. I'm about making them get the right thing for the right rider because that's going to pay more dividends for me than anything else. And I had the same philosophy when I approached local competitors of mine, other shops, you know, they're like, I'm like, look, I don't want to fight you for the same piece of pie. I want to grow the pie. You know, all these expressions, you know, you know, the rising tides floats all boats, all that kind of stuff. I want the bicycling market to grow and be as successful as possible. I don't care that you're a customer of this shop or I have no problem referring them to somebody else to buy a bike. And a lot of them will too will refer me to Fitz because they know I'm really the only bigger fitter in the area with all the technologies that I have. So it goes both ways. But again, you know, you can't be afraid of losing a bike sale. Yeah, I'm with you on that philosophy. I do think we all lift each other up and we should. We're trying to make this big ecosystem and bring more people into our sport and we'll all get stronger because of it. Joe, I mean, are you going like for events once a month or so? I noticed you did a women's event and like how often? What's your... Yeah, well, ideally, I'd like to do it once a month. Obviously, with COVID, I didn't do any events for a really long period of time. It was like, I think the Rafa's 100, Rafa Women's 100 event was one of the first ones that I did. And this was a relationship that I had started right before COVID. So the very first Rafa event that we did was that we had done a, oh, I'm trying to think what it was called. Anyway, it was, it was literally like we had the event scheduled on Saturday or Sunday. Friday night, I got a phone call from the store manager from Rafa that was coordinating the Rafa, the DC store. So the Rafa said, you can't have any events. Cancel it. You can't have the event. We've been planning this thing for months. Oh, we no. can, because it was right at the start of COVID. Because that was when everything started, to, like that middle of March, when everything started shutting down. So we still had the ride, but we had to take Rafa off of it and say, hey, this is a ride at your own risk. So this is just the continuation of that process. And to me, COVID's been tough because it happened right at the time when I was just getting into my groove and my name was starting to get out there because it takes a long time to kind of get that book, of, you know, get people to kind of 
know that you exist. And events are the way to do that. Because I'm a destination store, hey, I have a standing thing. Because I have the cafe, anybody, any group that has 10 or more riders wants to ride in Culpeper, they give us a call. We will plan a SAG-supported led ride for your group for free. What? That's amazing. Yep. Because I want people to come to see my store. And I want people to experience what it is that we do, but I'm also giving back to the community. I want people to, you know, I work very closely with the Department of Tourism. I want Culpeper to become a cycling destination. And the way to do that is to build a community and get people through your door and riding. So that's why I do a lot of events. Yeah. You know, I used to do, you know, prior to COVID, I used to always have a tour of Flanders party and I would make, because we're a restaurant, I would make a Belgian beer stew and we would serve Belgian craft beers and we would make homemade French fries. And that was it. And we'd go for a ride and then we'd watch the race at the end of it. That's what I want us to be. Yeah. Creating these experiences and creating a community, a destination for people to come ride at. Just touching there on COVID quickly, Joe, with fit. I mean, were you able to keep doing fittings during COVID? That was kept me up at night when this whole thing happened. You know, everybody was, you know, in a whirlwind of not what can we do, what can't we do? And I stopped doing fits for a few months, you know, and then, you know, in talking to first of number one, being in Culpeper, the nice thing is we're not very populous. We have a decent amount of cases, but it tended to happen in different areas of the population. So my thought was like, okay, it's a one-on-one type of thing. We can wear a mask. I went out and I've invested in literally a hospital grade air purifier. I did all my research where my fitting area is in the back. This air purifier would turn over the air four times every hour. It would filter down three times smaller microns than the COVID virus would. And since it's a computer controlled fit bike, I was able to maintain social distancing. So I would have the customer come drop their bike off ahead of time. I would do all the measurements, all the pre-work. They would come back when all of that was done. They literally would walk in, get suited up get on the fit bike, we'd go through the fit process, and then they'd leave as soon as that was particularly over. You know, obviously pre-vaccines, I did this for seven, eight, nine months, whatever it was, seven months. I stayed healthy throughout all of it. You know, I never, I never got COVID. My family never got COVID. So I like to think what we did worked. Yeah, were we taking a chance, but I needed to keep the store open. I have employees that I needed to pay. I did the cafe had to stay open. You know, those were important things. You know, I needed to keep people knowing that we were still there. Yeah, no, I'm sounds like you were very resourceful, but let's talk about the cafe. So the coffee shop is called 18 Grams Coffee Lab. Yes. We're owned and operated by yes. you. Yes. Oh my God. Like you how do you Joe? It wasn't well, it wasn't supposed to be owned and operated by me. The original plan was I was gonna sub out the coffee shop. I knew I wanted to have a say in the coffee program because I had it meet my exacting standards. And I had partnered with a local business person. And it was going to be an extension of a chain. And when he went through the franchise stuff and the franchisers came out and they looked at the space, like, it's never going to work here. This is not the right space for us. And it was funny, like right before that happened, I was in their store watching the operation going on. And I was like, shaking my head. I'm like, you know what? They were busy and it was chaos. And I'm like, you know, if I ever saw what's happening now in my store, even though it's not my business, I would lose it. You know, and I realized at that point in time, I'm like, there's no possible way I can let somebody else run this because that's really the most customer facing part of the business. That's where the experience starts and ends, you know, whether it's a fix, somebody walking in for the bike shop, but more likely that happens is people walk into the coffee shop and like, oh my God, I didn't know it was a bike store. So we had to take it over. The key though, 
was finding somebody that could run it and run it reliably. Because if somebody was open that day and they called in sick, I wasn't going to be able to go over to the store and cover the coffee part of this thing all day long. So luckily enough, there was a barista in town that had the, the right amount of experience and work ethic. And Jerry's been a crucial partner of mine and he's super reliable. I mean, he's called in sick, I think like four days and three years, you know, kind of thing. And he's the first person in every morning, regardless of the days, because he does a lot of the food prep. So even on his days off, we'll come in and work for an hour and then leave. And that's the, you can ask for that's a big part of what it is that we do. But yes, and now we're expanding and, you know, but again, we're having the same hiring issues as everybody else is, you know, in the food service industry. But, but yeah, we own and operate 18 grams coffee lab. We are the same precision that we use in our fits and our bike service and everything else applies to our coffee. I think a lot of people don't realize how temperamental espresso is. We always used to, we tell everything we do is weighed, measured, timed, all of that. Anything more than like two tenths of a gram of coffee, of ground espresso in a portafilter, or more than like a second or two on the shop pour, or more than a gram or two in the cup, will take that espresso from bitter to sour in a blink. So you've always got to be dialing in and making sure that you keep to your exact recipe for, for that. And we dial in several times a day. We're constantly tasting our espresso and our coffee throughout the day to make sure that it stays in the, within the parameters and the taste profile that we're looking for. Oh my God, Joe, you should see me in the morning. I have a French press and I basically just pour as long as, as well, as long as you're weighing your coffee and have a good grinder, then that's okay. The nice thing is, is that filtered coffee or batch brew coffee or, you know, Regular coffee, not espresso-based drink, is a lot more forgiving on its flavor. Just make sure you're using all your coffee within four weeks off of roast. That's the only thing that I'm going to tell you. That will totally increase your coffee game. I love that. I'm feeling like you could be selling shop branded hats and coffee mugs and coffee. I mean, do you sell branded merchandise too? Yeah. You know, again, that's one of these things where we get a lot. We do jerseys, especially, you know, we sell jerseys and water bottles Mugs and stuff we haven't gotten into. Like I've always wanted to have, you know, like a refillable mug program. It just that sometimes the, the minimum quantities to order a lot of that stuff is pretty high, especially the way that I want things to be customized. It's not just sticking your logo on the side of a mug. There's a little bit more to it. So we've, it's something that we should do more of that just, you know, when you start to weigh where you're going to spend your money and what's the return on investment, you know, right before, you know, two years before COVID, you know, a year after we opened the store, we invested $12,000 in our three-dimensional motion capture system. You know, my fit lab is $80,000 worth of technology in my fitting lab. And it didn't all happen overnight. So I've invested a lot in the technology there. And a reason being is, truth be told, we're a destination shop. I've got to do something a little bit different than what everybody else does, you know, and make people come for the technology. The experience, yes, and my years of experience are not always enough. You know, that's why we take a scientific approach there. We also take a scientific approach to our coffee. Joe, we have a forum at the MBDA that we recently had a retailer post a topic for retailers who have coffee slash beer, you know, food service within their retail environment. You know, just in your opinion, totally going to catch you off guard with this one. I'm very authentically, was it a good thing? Is it a good thing? Would you suggest to other retailers who are considering adding a cafe to maybe go for it? Yes, but you got to do it right. Like, you know, like there's nothing worse. Like, so the reason when I did my business model and opening up this new location, the business model was that the cafe was going to pay 
the rent and the utilities for the bike shop. That was going to be my standard kind of business model. Being where we are in Culpeper, Starbucks still has a bigger line than me, unfortunately, but we take that same attention to detail. So if you're going to do coffee, you can't not do it. There's no reason not to do it the right way. And that is weighing and measuring and learning and investing in the right equipment and you know, like a dual boiler machine because it'll just sour the experience, I think, from everything else. I mean, obviously, you know, beer is easy. It's, you know, you're not, you're not going to be a brewery. And then, you know, and even from a food perspective, but, you know, check out my Instagram feed for 18 grams. Like I follow the same aesthetic with our food and our coffee. Like all of our food is Instagrammable, you know, like that's exactly how it needs to be. So for me being a destination store and trying to run parallel businesses, because while they work they're synergistic. There's a very small overlap between the customer base. The big thing that I liked about it and sort of the reason that I embraced the coffee and the food part of it is that when I had my original location and we were doing rides and I was still at the coffee, inevitably we'd come back from a ride and people would be like, okay, what's for lunch? Right. You know, kind of thing. And so it's like, well, I've got to be able to have the food. So yes. So when I do these events, like the Canyon event, or when I do these rides and when I you know, people come and they will stay for lunch. I always put out free pastries and coffee in the beginning of a ride, but you know, they're going to come back and they're going to order lunch because they're there. You know, look, I, when I built the space, I was very careful about it. We have our bathrooms are spotless. They're not like your typical bike shop bathroom. They're part bathroom, part changing room. We have a shower, we have an, an attached bike wash, you know, so people will, you know, come and even that they're allowed to take a shower after our ride, you know, that kind of thing. I have you know, we're building cubbies and lockable lockers with RFID tags. So people can lock their stuff up, you know, in there. We're putting phone charges in these cubbies so people can charge their phone while they go on a ride if they don't take their phone with them. You know, all of this stuff is stuff that I'm thinking about and trying to create an experience. So going back to, I absolutely think any shop should do it. Just do it right. Put the same care and attention to it as you do your shop, because it's going to give people a chance to hang out and build that community and grow the sport. It sounds like we need to do a buy where you ride destination event and bring other retailers in to visit you, Joe. We could get some miles in. I would welcome that. And I will offer, you know, and I'm sure you'll share my email address and, and contact info because, you know, any retailer out there that wants to talk about my experience and what I've done and how I've done it, I don't really have any very many secrets. You know, I'm here to share that. And like I said, it's you know, I want to share what I've learned and the passion for it because I do think this business has grown way more than I've ever thought. I do, you know, 150 plus fits a year and I didn't have any when I opened up the door, you know, kind of thing. And that's just been through, I like to think I do a really good fit, but at the same token, it's all organic. I mean, I've done a bunch of social media advertising and that helps create awareness. Nothing helps as much as the word of mouth. Yeah. All right, Joe. So you are the president for right now, for today, Joe is president. Where, <laughs> where would you be telling retailers to focus for profitability and success as we go into 2022? Well, you said, see, I, you, I thought you were giving me a softball because you were saying if I was president, the first thing that I would do is get rid of the 25% tariff that we have on bike goods. That would be the first thing that I would be, that I would do. I'm on that one. All right. Yeah. Let's on giving advice to bicycle retailers. <laughs> so I think be passionate about what you do. When you're a bike shop owner, you're more than a business owner. You need to embrace every aspect of the business. You need to treat your employees well. 
You need to treat your customers well, and you need to do everything you possibly can to foster that particular relationship. If somebody needs help, send them out on a bike with one of your better riders. Everybody's got cyclists in their shop. You know, embrace that rider, help them really, you know, become the cyclist that we want them to be. Don't just, you know, sell the bike and, you know, say, hey, see you later kind of thing. It's got to embrace everything. I'm never afraid that people are like, oh, do you have like repair classes or, you know, or flat change classes? I'm like, yeah, every single day, any day of the week you walk in, we'll show you how to do that kind of thing. You know, that's really the kind of thing that we need to do and be passionate about it and look at service. Service is, I think, the future as we move to a more direct to consumer model, you know, with Canyon out there, you've got, you know, specialized and track and they're all going that way. And it's just the nature of the beast. You know, people want that Amazon shopping experience. So you've got to change. I mean, this is not going to be here forever. This great resurgence of cycling. We're going to be back to where we were in a few years. Got to be ready. Joe directed, you said D to C. Does it make you nervous? Not me. No. I've never developed. My shop has never been on selling. We sell bikes because that's not our reason for being sales service community are what we do. Fit first rider centric. Yeah. Bike sales are great. They definitely add to your bottom line and we will sell bikes, but my model is going to be, is a little bit different than just, you know, walk in and there'd be 50 bikes on the floor and pick the one off the shelf that does it. You know, I want really to, to partner with my customers. I know all my customers by name, you know, I really, I've actually started with my fit customers. I've actually started taking headshot pictures of them so I can have, so when they call, because a lot of times you don't know their name, so between the picture of themselves and then like my notes, I'm usually able to put it together. I love that idea. I'm totally a picture person. I'll like remember someone by their face before I could just hear their name and, and recall who they are. Well, see, that started when I used to be, I was a ski instructor for a really long time as a full-time ski instructor. And if you know anything about ski industry, your request private business is a very important part of it. That's when you get paid your most money when somebody requests a private. But what would happen is you'd have a group lesson or a lesson with somebody and you do four or five of these throughout the day and they're wearing hats and goggles and whatever. And then you get into the bar, you know, at the end of, you know, the Opry ski scene and you're at the bar and somebody would come up to you and they'd be like, Hey, great lesson today. And you're looking at the person. It's like, I have no idea who you are. You know, I know you look familiar, but I don't know your name, but I knew your name for the hour that you were with me, but now I couldn't tell you. So. Joe, what's next for Velo Concepts? Can you hit, you hinted a little bit that you have another machine, like any share? Yeah, yeah. So there's, I do want to open up and I have a location and it's ours, it's mine to open up a small fit studio only inside the DC area. The plan was to mostly do follow-ups and that kind of stuff there. So I think that's sort of the next, I actually, quite honestly, you know, I've got it. I can use it at any given time. I've just been too busy that I haven't had the chance to set it up and or needed to start seeing, you know, customers there. I've been, you know, I've had my busiest year yet, at least, you know, dollars may not reflect that just because of bike availability. So that sort of would be the next thing. I've also got an idea of, you know, with gravel being such an idea, I'm thinking about maybe possibly another location. And I use that term loosely because it would be more like a weekend only kind of thing sort of like more like a ride start stop area kind of thing than necessarily. So I got some ideas about where I want to go, but I'm always thinking about it. And the really the big thing that's thrown me for a loop was bike availability and realizing that, you know, some of the partners that I've been working with over the last several years are not my partners anymore. And I have people want to buy bikes from me, you know, and looking at the brands, you know, that have been very supportive. And, you know, I know this is a bike industry thing and I'll give them a call out chapter two bikes. 
you know, they have been fantastic. I, if they've worked with them before, but as I've been embracing it, like you get a hold of the CEO of the company, you can talk to Michael any given time you want. And I mean, that's the same level of, of expertise. The same thing with Open is the same way. Andy Kessler, you know, all these guys you can get a hold of. And that's, I'm looking for the brands that have the same philosophy that I do. I think that's really more of it rather than opening up a location because anybody can do that. It's finding the brands that, that embrace you and want to work with you and nurture that relationship. There's so much magic that happens when you combine amazing people and just passion. And it's amazing what happens. So Joe, I love this. You're right. I do want to share your contact information. Give it to us. Can we share? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the website is belloconcepts.com, V-E-L-O-C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S.com. You can also reach me personally at Jay Coppola. J-C-O-P-P-O-L-A at veloconcepts.com. But if you can't remember any of that, get to my website. There's a contact us form that comes directly to me. There's a phone number on our website. You can call that. That will ring to my cell phone, regardless of the hours that we're open. So you can get a hold of me there. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. And then you can check out our YouTube channel. You can just search under YouTube for Velo Concepts, which please like my channel. That would be great. We're starting to grow that. Some of the new things that are coming down the pipe too. So, So stay tuned. I love that. I love YouTube bike shops. I'm like, always like, go ahead make a YouTube channel. It's awesome. I'm going to find you, Joe. Joe, thank you. Oh, anytime. I'm going to get my coffee. I'm coming to visit you. We'll get the coffee game on. We're going to, do you have time to ride? Mm, I'm going to put it this way. I'm 35 pounds overweight from when I was at my lowest. So that answers that question. It's been a rough couple of years. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it has. And, you know, when COVID first hit, I was like, oh, great. I'm not going to do. I can just start riding again. And I did. And then all of a sudden things started to change. And you know, it's tough too. It's like, you know, I, the, the nights that I do fit, I work, everybody's like, I don't do fits during the hours that we're open. We actually have very limited hours. The store's open because we do fix seven days a week, all hours of the day. I've had customers saying, you know, driving up from North Carolina, say, I'm only, in, I'm just going to spend the night there. I won't get to you at eight. Is it okay? Could we start at eight o'clock at night? I'm like, absolutely. You know, I'm here for them because I want them to have that experience. So no, I don't find a whole lot of time to ride. Actually, after we get off the phone call for you, I think I'm going to hit my trainer and get on that. I might do a Peloton workout tonight. That's one of the things I didn't even tell you about. I'm also a fitter for Matt Wilpers. So Matt Wilpers is a very well-known Peloton instructor. During COVID, they actually started a whole virtual bike fitting business. And I was one of the first fitters that came on board with Matt Wilpers. So I also do virtual bike fits for people that are Pelotoners. And most Pelotoners are not cyclists. We do it through a FaceTime or a Zoom call. It's all virtual, but it, it's, a, you know, when you look at where people start that have no bike background, those are where we make some of the biggest achievements. So that's just something that, you know, that just came about that I, I will happen to know the right people that got me involved in it. And it's been great. So if anybody's looking for a Peloton fit, take a look at Matt Wolper's Team Wolper's site and you can find the fitters on there and we do it all virtually. Joe, congratulations. You are doing such amazing things for our industry and for new cyclists coming into our sport. Um, Kudos to you on the expansion. And we'll definitely have to get down there and we'll do a ride soon. Joe, thanks so much. Have a nice workout tonight. I'm with you on that one. I'm going to hit the bike up as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. The Peloton stuff's fun. I like to try to keep that as sort of just the the lighter work. I mean, listen, there's nothing more fun than a Cody Rigsby workout. (laughs) So if you know who Cody Rigsby is, he's the one that was on Dancing with the Stars. So Keeps it light. <laughs> so that is it. I invite you to connect with me. Come on Bicycle Retail Radio, share your story. Lots of love for our industry. There's lots of great webinars coming up. 2022 is going to be fantastic. 
All right, go ahead, check out our website, pre-register for events, and come back here soon. And with this, we go. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Oh,